Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Lots to talk about on this week in cricket. We talk South Africa, Sri Lanka, the England squad to Sri Lanka, BBL Ford Trophy and the aftermath of that called off series in South Africa. We're also in the presence of greatness on the podcast tonight. We've got Cricket Badger special guest Michael Baldwin in the hot seat fresh off his debut on the Cricket Badger podcast talking about the heat. We'll talk a bit more BBL in the show as we go, but listen out for Baldy on the Cricket Badger podcast. All good places that you get your podcasts. You'll find us there as well at the top order. We'll be back after the swish with This Week in Cricket. Baldy, I'm going to keep your ego in check and come to Lippy first this week to yeah, talk a, li- a little bit of Ford Trophy. So Lippy, what's going on domestically, mate? So, yeah, the Ford Trophy uh, today is the, was the halfway point we reached. Uh, we've Canterbury's started the season very, very strongly. We've talked about them in the Plunkett Shield. They've kept it going. They did lose today to, to CD, but they're still right up the top of the table. ND winning today has pushed them to the top of the table, but it's it's been a really weird season because there's been so many kind of A games, which has been a, a real good thing for the New Zealand calendar, I think, having us playing the West Indies while these tours have been going on. But it's meant that the depth of all these squads has really been tested. We've seen yeah, a number of players being shuffled in and out to move out to the to the A camps. And yeah, it's really meant that a lot of new players have, have evolved. Uh, we've seen for Auckland, Will O'Donnell has really shone. He's got five uh, four fifties in a row and then 100 today. So yeah, he's a name that we hadn't really seen uh, too much in the past. And, and now he's jumped to the forefront. We've also seen for Canterbury, Ken McClure hit a couple of hundreds. So yeah, kind of new names that have, have been slightly around, but with the big names out, some of them are, are getting a chance to shine. And, and any of them really put in their hat in the ring for some Super Smash action, do we think? Well, I think the Super Smash is, that's the thing. It starts, uh, so this Ford Trophy now is, is finished. It's kind of a weird system in New Zealand. You get the, the both the Plunkett Shield and the Ford Trophy. They start and then they get about the halfway point and then there's about a three-month gap before they, they go again. But we've got the Super Smash coming up, starts in about a week's time and the majority of that all the black caps will be involved right throughout january and february so a lot of these players who've been getting these opportunities now are going to be relegated when all the the black caps and the a players get back in the fold and many overseas players coming in for the smash this year or not i don't think we've got any as far as i'm aware we have had a, a signing um, mitch mcclennigan has gone to the vaults as well he's not an overseas player but he's he's moved down there just for the the super smash season Obviously played most of his cricket uh, in recent times in Auckland um, after starting out in CD, but yeah, gone down to the vaults for, for the summer. And whilst we're on the subject of T20, let's talk a little bit about the Big Bash, Baldy. Going to come to you. Yeah, a couple of games have already been played in the Big Bash, kicking off this week. Um, Melbourne Stars really have separated themselves from the pack with a couple of really good wins early doors. Um, Marcus Stoinis has uh, picked up where he left off last season and has been bashing it about the place. Uh, Nathan Coulton-Isle also had a great game, had a couple of wickets and a couple of runouts in their first up win. Um, and then the rest of the teams, well, probably much of a muchness, really. Uh, you could probably throw a tissue over the, the next six teams on the list. I think really only my Brisbane Heat will be off the pace this season. Um, they really struggled once AB de Villiers and Tom Banton weren't able to come as their overseas players. I think they're probably just a little bit off the pace. And I'd like to see the Brisbane Heat throw all the junior guys in there. They've got some impressive youngsters in Xavier Bartlett, um, Max Bryant, the opening bat, and Jack Wildermuth, who played pretty well last night 
against uh, the Sydney Thunder. And he's had a good week with the 100 in the A game. Yeah, he made 100 in the A game. He's got a couple of wickets. He looks a likely character, um, is a good player. Um, so I think we'll see more of Jack Wildermuth moving forward and, and hopefully in the Shield cricket as well. And Raj, you think it's going to be pretty high scoring? We're not at the G this year, so smaller grounds and playing. I think Hobart is the one hub, isn't it? And then um, there's also games going on in Canberra. Is that right? Games, games going on in Canberra and Hobart at the moment. And there's a couple of games at the Sydney Cricket Ground as well. Uh, and then it moves up to Brisbane for a bit. And I think it goes over to Perth for a little bit. So it moves around, but most of the teams are playing in one of two hubs at this stage. But the full schedule, I think, will un- unravel as the tournament goes so on. So give us your uh, your feedback on the rules, the new rules, Baldy. How are they going? Uh, which have ones? we had the Simon Cowell rule yet? Has anyone X-factored? <laughs> uh, no, nothing yet. So as far as I'm aware, no one's been substituted in or out um, at, at this stage. A couple of teams have picked up a bonus point uh, for being ahead at the halfway stage and still losing the game. So the Heat picked up a bonus point the other night ahead against the Thunder and then had a massive brain explosion as far as their bowling unit went and allowed Daniel Sams to... Tonk them all around the park, just proving what a, an astute coach Shane Bond is recognising uh, in our, in his chat with us. The value of Daniel Sams working with Ricky Ponting at the Capitals during the IPL absolutely bashed us apart. There was one interesting thing I did find from a tactical point of view. There was a game, you're going to have to tell me which, what the teams were bought. Sorry, I, didn't, I can't remember, but they, one team got bowled out for about 60 or 70 runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be the Melbourne Renegades got um, absolutely destroyed. Uh, against the Sydney Sixers, 205 for four, plays about 100 off 10 overs. It's an interesting one because I think they lost a couple of wickets early and they decided that they were going to make sure that they could try and get that one point mm. because they did not slow down the mm. whole way through that. They just kept going and going. They fell short. But that's an interesting little, little tactical move there. Yeah, interesting for them. And they, and they suffered a massive net run rate hit as a result. So they were kind of all going in for that extra point, hoping it would make the difference come playoff time. But yeah, their, their net run rate at the moment is minus 3.14, which is incredible. Um, so, yeah, the, the Sydney Thunder uh, picked up a good win against the Heat. They're 1-1. One one. Melbourne Renegades 1-1. One one. Uh, Sydney Sixers 1-1. One and, one. and the Hobart uh, Hurricanes are 2-0 and o at this point uh, and looking pretty good, actually. Uh, who picked the Hobart Hurricanes before offline? I think it might have been you, Raj, was telling me how much you liked Hobart. Or if was it was it offline, that... it was definitely me. Uh, yeah, was it? Okay, it was you, was it? Okay. <laughs> you and I haven't talked Big Bash yet, but I'm sure that it was that, that, it was that. Uh, but, look, I like, the, I like the Hobart side and I like the Melbourne Stars. I think have they'll be noticed... the teams to beat. Sorry, I've just cut over there. Have you noticed any change with the surge, the change of the it was interesting. It was interesting. I had a look at the stats over that first four or five game slate and actually the net run rates, other than that first Hobart Hurricanes game where they went bananas at the end, the net run rates were kind of steady or declining in the last five overs. So I don't think that that power surge has had the impact that we thought it might have, but maybe the teams are taking a little while to get used to the idea and we'll see them pick up as the tournament goes on. We're going to talk a little bit about Sri Lanka. So England have departed South Africa. Sri Lanka have arrived in South Africa. Lippy, you've got an eye on the calendar here. Oh, I just thought it was kind of crazy. And I I guess it's the, you know, in New Zealand here, we've got uh, the West Indies series has just finished. We're moving straight into this Pakistan series. But I noticed that Sri Lanka have got these... Uh, tests against South Africa, which we are assuming as at this point they're going ahead. Um, you know, we've obviously had all the, the drama over there, but as soon as those series are finished, they've got to pretty much get back on the plane that night. They finish on the 8th of Jan, I think, they, and then they're going to have to jump on the plane and they start their first test against England at home, so moving countries on the 14th of Jan. So there's not even a week between the two tests. They've got to shift back home. Obviously, they're just going bubble to bubble. They must have a, 
and are set up there where they don't have to do their quarantine because they're already in a bubble. But yes, very, very condensed calendar. And I guess, you know, we're trying to fit all these games in. So that's the reason why. But yeah, much quicker than we're, we're used to. Yeah, and look, I don't think we're going to hear, you know, the end of these kind of dramas. I think obviously you're seeing cases still pretty high in Europe, particularly England uh, and the UK just about to probably explode into another spike as well with, um, yeah, from a political perspective. And you can get political views elsewhere now, and, and this podcast isn't the place, but there will be a spike in England, I think, with this Christmas mingling going on so yeah, well, yeah who knows whether that series actually goes ahead well let's move away from COVID then and, and then onto the actual squad the England squad for for the Sri Lanka series sorry can I just make one point the uh, that bubble jumping was that from is that going to be from South Africa to Sri Lanka yeah, yeah. the Sri Lankan team I find that so hypocritical because yeah. they've called off tours against Bangladesh because they wouldn't they wouldn't fit into their regimented 14-day cycle now because England's coming with all the dollars let's do it let's organize mm. it. let's get this played Oh, I was, it's, yeah, Sri Lanka, I was stunned to, to see that, that that time frame was so short. I, yeah, it was amazing. Well, not only, not only is it potentially unsafe, but, like, they're going to be jet-lagged as newts by the time they take the field for the first test against England. They're, they're going to be thinking it's midnight. Like, is it a day-night test? That's the only thing that will save Sri Lanka is a day-night test and hopefully, like, the time zones catch up with them before they start the test. But are they going to get pumped? Well, the other thing that might help is that, you know, England are going to be going from winter into 40-degree heat, I'd imagine, so... Yeah, I still think there's a, a little bit of an, not necessarily an advantage, but yeah, home conditions might play into the Sri Lankans' favour. But yeah, the England squad has been announced for that. So Stokes and Archer being rested, probably the big news. Rory Burns misses out as well. Um, I think he's on parental leave. Yep. Um, so yeah, a change at the top of the order for England. And I think, yeah, the other, yeah, the other thing that caught my eye is Ben Folks in that squad as the backup wicketkeeper. So they've made it very, very clear that a recall for Johnny Bairstow, but really just with bat in hand, not the gloves in the bag. Um, so yeah, folks, there's a chance he, he actually gets, uh, yeah, gets a crack in that actually, if they, if they move that batting order around to accommodate Burns missing out. Um, and maybe bring in folks to, to bat seven and shunt a few punters up the order a little bit. And I'm obviously missing Stokes from that as well. Yeah, who do you think the candidates are to open then? Is, will, would Crawley move up? Because what's going on there? Because Pope's still out with his injury. Is Bairstow likely to come in and open? Is that a, is that a possibility? I would have thought that Zach Crawley would open the batting with Dom Sibley, and then you'll have Joe Root at three, um, and then potentially Johnny Bairstow somewhere in the middle order there, five or six, something something of that ilk, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and then you've got Dan Lawrence in the squad as yeah. well. So getting a, yeah, I think he he was around that bubble over the course of the summer. So he, he might actually get his chance. So yeah, plenty of options. Him get a chance. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, the same sort of scenario with the Australian batting lineup coming into these test matches with, yeah, um, openers galore sort of falling over or falling out of form. So yeah, plenty of different uh, permutations for top orders around the world. Well, that wraps up the quick intro to this week in cricket for this week, the 15th of December. We're going to go munch on some Advent calendar chocolates. We'll be back after the swish to talk more detail, particularly the New Zealand West Indies series wrap up. Back after the contractual swish. So we've got to start with Henry Nichols. We said he needed a score and boy, has he got one. Yeah, well, it was very impressive. I think he's got a few West Indians to thank for that. Darren Bravo, probably at the 
the top of that list. But yeah, absolutely wrapped to see Henry Nichols get those runs. I mean, um, you know, we, I, yeah, like you say, I mentioned it this, a few weeks ago. I really wanted to see him stand up and get a big score. He's, it's been, it had been a while, and you know, he'd sort of seen those whispers of everyone's desperate to get Devin Conway in there, and and people, re, you know, really thinking, okay, it was more, it was a case very much of who who can we find, who can we get out of here almost because you're you're looking for someone who is struggling, and and Nichols was that candidate given that he'd gone. About ten tests, and it had been since twenty, you know, mid twenty nineteen, I think, since he'd he'd got a fifty. So, you know, as many, it wasn't that many tests, but it still was a while ago. Baldy, you want to jump in? Yeah, he averaged thirty in twenty nineteen, and and only twenty odd in twenty twenty. So this is a massive bounce back for for Henry Nichols in terms of you know that big score, one hundred and seventy four, his highest test score. Had plenty of chances before he got to fifty, but he looked really good from fifty to hundred and then onwards. So while he was lucky to get to where he got to. The thing I really liked about his innings was that he knuckled down and took massive advantage. He didn't throw it away, having been dropped a couple of times in the slips. He knuckled down, went back to the shots that he knows and was able to get aggressive towards the back half of his innings and really punish that West Indian attack. Yeah, I think what, I've, what I like about Nichols is that there's, I don't think there's ever been any doubt that he can play at that level. You know, he, he'd had that run of low scores, but even, you know, I remember back to that England series when they were here, I think he got, he just kept getting starts and he'd get out and you, you always kind of, in my head, thought, okay, he's 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 well equipped to play at this level. We've seen that, bef- you know, a few years ago when he was in a run of hundreds. And I think, you know, hopefully, I guess this is just, a, you know, him kick-starting and, and, you know, we would hope from a New Zealand perspective that he can continue this run of form and, and get that average back over 40 and really cement his spot. But I, I think that the, the interesting point, I mean, anyone can jump in about, Nichols, if you want, but the interesting point that I thought this raises is sort of what what do the contenders have to do to get in the side? Like how how does a Devon Conway break into this side if the players are performing? Because you you know you think back to those you know mid nineties Australia teams where you just had people piling on runs and runs and runs. Is it a case where they just don't get in the side, if, or or is there a pathway if the players? You know, let's say Blundell and Nichols average 30 or 40 for the rest of, you know, for another year. Is there a path for Conway? Well, and the other factor here is just the fact that these games have both been one innings for, for the mm. Black Caps. So, you know, has Will Young done enough with 40-odd to get a little bit of a go? Is he, you know, does he keep that pecking order? Um, you know, you can't really penalise the guy for the fact that he's not got two hits because you've got, you know, 500 and 460 in two consecutive tests as well. So, mm. you know, that's another factor in all of that. So 100% right. I think the main thing is you want to stay fit for the next year yeah. or so. Yep. You don't want to give that that spot up. And we haven't even talked about Jameson versus Colin de Grandhome at the moment. But, mm. um, yeah, you, you just have to stay fit and you have to keep playing. I, I think, uh, as, you know, one of Binksy's favourite sayings is, you know, there's no space in the scorebook for how you get them. It's, it's you know, what you get. And he got 170-odd, and uh, that that's all that you take away. And he's probably cemented his spot for the next couple of years with the schedule being so so barren in terms of test match cricket. You just, the, we know that we have some sort of talent, though, on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Devin Conway is is a international cricketer through and through. Uh There's going to have to be some bold decisions made. Well, we've already seen the first one. Like, it's already been... It's already been kind of telegraphed a little bit. Ross Taylor has been left out of the T20 side to play Pakistan over the next little while before Christmas, ostensibly maybe to keep him fresh for the test matches. But 
if you looked at the release from Gavin Larson, the selector for New Zealand, uh, has kind of hinted that Ross Taylor's omission from the New Zealand 2020 squad isn't to rest him for the test matches or to prepare him for the Boxing Day test. He was left out because there were other guys that were in better form than him. So, you know, no one's place in the team is guaranteed, particularly those senior guys like Ross Taylor, maybe to a lesser extent, you know, Tim Southey and, and those other experienced guys. But the fact that Jamison and Lockie Ferguson and, you know, all those other players, Devin Conway, Will Young, are banging down the door for New Zealand means that there's going to be massively healthy competition for places moving forward, which will lift you guys again to the next level. Yeah, at first glance to me, that looked like, you know, giving him a little bit of a break. And his proven class surely gets him on the plane for that T20 World Cup. But like you say, that kind of comment, just throw the cat amongst the pigeons and, and really showing how some franchise performances and taking your chance in those games can really, um, yeah, shake things up a little bit. Yeah, well, this is probably going to be a bit of a, a controversial comment, but I, I almost feel like he didn't have a, a role in that side, in that, in that 2020 side that is there. He's a good batsman, but in a 2020 game, he's actually being used as a backstop. Uh, we had we went through the same thing with um, Hesson, Mike Hesson, and, and the Brendan McCullum led 2020 sides where Ross Taylor was left out at times. Uh, you know, I think there's no doubt that he is our number four when it comes to 50 over cricket and, and test match cricket 100%. At, at this stage. But maybe maybe there is a space there for to make a bold decision. Yeah, shades of the Joe Root situation for England as well, I think, there. Yeah, we erased it just there with, with Hesson. This has actually been going on with Taylor for quite a while. We've had, uh, you know, even um, in the last year or so, we had Colin de Gronholm batting at four. It seems quite clear that, you know, the, whether that's only these two coach, you know, there's, there's been two coaches now that, that don't really view Ross Taylor as a top four batter in T20. They've used him in that kind of five, you know, five, six role, maybe to come in and finish in innings. But I don't think that doesn't feel like his best role. And they obviously view having, you know, a, a more aggressive, someone like a DeGronholm or even a Phillips or, or Conway or someone that can just come in and, and go from ball one as someone who they want it in that number four spot, and, and that means Taylor misses out. Mm. Well, if you've got Kane Williamson who can pace in innings, you can bat guys that are explosive around him, right? And if New Zealand's game plan is to bat their innings in T20 cricket around Kane Williamson's ability to rotate the strike and find gaps, then maybe there isn't room for Ross Taylor. But I think you're right, Adam. He'll probably be on that plane to India for the T20 World Cup next year. Yeah, and with Kane, we've talked about it before. He's shown that he's actually got some versatility. He's cleared the rope and, and scored at you know two hundred um, when he's needed to do. On a similar vein, though, we want to talk. We've talked about the fringe players there. So fringe player, you know, your twelfth man is the ultimate fringe player, I guess, in many respects. Now a concussion substitute, so doesn't go back to domestic cricket like you used to do, mm. um, and you bring in a decent fielder from local cricket to kind of do those kind of duties. Is that better to be in the environment for those guys or are they going to be better going off and playing Ford Trophy or Plunkett Shield or whatever cricket's available for their province? Yeah, well, I have no, I'm really unsure about this, particularly from a, a batting point of view, you know, because for me as a bowler, I, I definitely wanted to play in games all the time. I, I had that experience of being a, a 12th man at various points and, and found it really difficult. I mean, when we talked to Jeet and Patel, I remember that being a real issue, um, you know, even without him saying it, you could see it in his bowling that he basically spent a couple of years of his career being a backup to Daniel Vittori, going all of these tours all around the world and just never playing in any games and you never got in quite in a rhythm. And yeah, you say it there, 
someone like Devin Conway, he'd been in such great form. He'd started the the Plunkett Shield so well. He's gone up to the New Zealand level. And then he's like elevated, I guess, to the, the New Zealand squad. You have to have him there because you can't send him away to these A games. He was supposed to play all those A games, but obviously with the people disappearing, he then is, is in the squad and, and you want to make sure that he's there in case of a concussion. But, you know, from a batting point of view, do you, does it do the Nets kind of replicate a game in any way? Uh, personally, I don't think so at all. Mm. Uh, just from a running between the wickets sort of thing, it just you lose a lot of fitness from a, from not playing matches. But look, I, I think that there is a real. You mentioned Jeetan Patel there. There's a real uh, likelihood that someone develops, you know, Jeetan Patel syndrome where they're just sitting on the side mixing the Gatorade. Uh, they might, you know, be able to turn out some good Gatorade from it, but they're not improving themselves as as cricketers and. That is a big concern. I agree with that. Can I go against the grain here? If I'm a batsman, particularly if I'm a batsman, I want to be 12th man. If I'm not in the 11, I want to be 12th man because if I'm the concussion substitute for a batter, think Manus Labuschagne in the in the Ashes series last year, he gets one opportunity to come in for Steve Smith, bats the house down in, in the Ashes series, gets himself you know the the incumbent job in Australia against it's a changed not, his life, isn't it? and it's and it's completely changed. He's now a three format player, which he never was before for Australia. You know his average in first class cricket was mid thirties ish when he got that opportunity, and now look at him. You know he scored a thousand runs in his first twelve months as a Test cricketer. So if I'm Devon Conway, I wouldn't be wishing a teammate to get an injury, but I would want to be there when preparation meets opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, look, I think being around those, and look, I don't mean bubble in the sense of a COVID bubble, but I think being in those environments is going to help you to, to a large extent. You're going to understand the system, the way the side wants to play, what your role would be if you do come into that side. I've got to probably take the counterpoint that Labashain, I think, might become the exception to that rule. He's done really, really well out of it. I think if you look at players that have been the bridesmaid for a long, long time, they often kind of disappear back into county cricket for a long time or provincial cricket. James Anderson would be a great example. He was 12th man in every single one of those 2005 Ashes test matches, um, bar the final one where Collingwood came in. So he just literally spent the whole summer... Um, and not really had a bowl, um, and didn't really then kind of cement his place until a lot later. Oh, okay, that's um, your in, point. Okay, in his yeah. career. Yeah, so, okay. I was, I was going to say 600 test wickets is probably a pretty good investment <laughs> for being around. Yeah, but he'd have 900 now. Oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, is, is my point. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Brad Hodge as well. He got his chance and scored a double hundred and never got a and never got yeah. another game. So that's, is that just that's a, a selection issue? That's so not so a performance issue. The Manus one is more of a. Example of the weakness um, of Australian cricket. No, my, my Cussy, my Cussy did pretty well once he came into the side. There's yeah, a few others, but I mean, Huss himself said, you know, no substitute for batting for six hours. You know that net session that AB told him to have is uh, go back and listen to the podcast. He tells the story a lot better than we will. He did. <laughs> um, should we give some? Should we give some credit to a couple of the bowlers for the New Zealand team uh, who were exceptional in this series? And I think we need to start with the tallest of them in Kyle Jamison. He has transformed himself as a cricketer over the last six months before our eyes hasn't he oh he's been absolutely remarkable hasn't he and i mean he's changed he's changed in the sense that he has to be on the team sheet every single week right he, he's got to be there there is no those four bowlers cannot be dropped no they have put themselves in a position which is fair enough good on them they've put themselves in that position where they cannot be dropped that's now where the, the decision comes now with con de grand home can carl jameson bat at seven create some space but you're right, Kyle Jameson bowled really well that five foot. Did he take a five foot in the first test? 
He took uh, some in the first test, but yeah, I, they, they just shared it around. They've all shared it around the whole time. He's 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 done really really well. And it, bit it expensive back. though. He did go for two point six two. I guess the rest of the guys no, absolutely phenomenal. What I've really enjoyed about his his emergence in this series. I mean, it's not an emergence because he's already kind of done it against India. But I don't feel like we saw the prestigious swing and movement that he's been able to generate in this series as as you know in that india series it was all about bowling lengths and channels and stuff this time boy i mean that over that he bowled uh, over to where he bowled roston chase and like just appeals every single ball he got he two wickets in the over on a hat trick pads. it was incredible over you're absolutely right the thing that's changed in this series is his ability to go wide of the crease and bring the ball back into the batsman and find the top of off stump that wasn't in his arsenal against india early and in his career and what really really impresses me is that Kyle Jamison finds the right length to bowl on every surface that he appears on. As a young, fast bowler, you tend to get carried away with pace and bounce or with nip off the wicket, and you tend to bowl the incorrect length. But he hasn't been afraid to bowl full. He hasn't been afraid to offer the batsman the ability to drive him down the ground or through the covers in search of hitting the stumps, and he's been absolutely fantastic in the first few test matches of his career. I can't wait to see more of him. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy we've talked about him, can we, but can we move on to the real rock star of the team? We well, want to talk about Neil, Neil Wagner, Wagner again. And his, he was the best batsman in that first innings. Are you going to back me up on that? <laughs> yep. With the 66 not out. I love the way he threw the willow. It was it put the icing on the cake. Uh, we haven't really talked about the West Indian bowlers, but I think they actually bowled really well in this test. Really, they took that uh, criticism on board yep. and came in and bowled a much better length much than Much better one. length, yep. Uh, their fielders didn't back them up. But uh, Neil Wagner, his batting at the end of that innings really put a cherry on top, and, and I'm really happy to see that we have that ability if we're put in that position. He's another guy who changed the way he bowled for this test series against the West Indies, bowled full and swung the ball. I mean, we're very, very used to Neil Wagner bowling short and having the ball somewhere between the batsman's ribcage and, the, and their shoulder blades, but he was excellent in this series. He looked for swing. I mean, that ball that he got to trap... Um, he trapped Josh De Silva on day four on 57 when Josh De Silva looked really comfortable and looked like a good cricketer. He brought the ball back into the batsman, bowled it full and, and took out the leg stump with a with an LBW decision. So for, for Neil Wagner, he's had another excellent test series and yet again proved that he's got many tricks up his sleeve. I did like it that they, they bowled the, the short pitch spell to Neil Wagner, who's who's obviously the the specialist at, at uh, you know short pitch plans, and, and he just demolished it. Yeah, I mean, just spends an hour at training just facing <laughs> short pitch bowling because he knows it's going to come. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you'd think he'd have to he'd have to be ready for it, but he he looked very comfortable under the short ball, as did a couple of the West Indian fast bowlers actually. Mm. Um, Elzari Joseph in particular, not afraid to uh, throw the hook shot out there, and, and he played pretty well. Lippy, I've got to come to you though. We've not seen a lot of spin across this series. Um, I know that you've got some issues with whether or not we're going to develop a spinner in New Zealand within this bowl and is that that can bowl at home. Thoughts? Oh, look, I mean, Raj said it before, those those four have to be picked. I just, there's just actually, as much as I want to see a spinner, as much as I want to see us develop a spinner, you can't, you can't drop any of those bowlers. They are 100% have proved that they are the best four bowlers in the country right now and they have to be there. And if that means that we don't develop a spinner, then that's just what we have to do. We have to find some other way to develop a spinner, whether that's by, you know, obviously it's a bit more difficult now in this current environment, but I know in the past people have gone to India and, and developed in other ways. They've gone on India, uh, they've gone on A-tours and they've they've tried to develop them at, at first-class level. You know, we do have some younger spinners that are, um, you know, potentially Raj's man, Ratchin. 
Well, I was going to say, yeah, if you want to talk spin, let's look at the A game. I reckon Cornwall bowled well for the West Indies. Mm. It looked like he was opening the bowling at, at one stage there with the hard ball, but uh, then Ratchan Ravindra took six in the second innings. Did you see any of that? Or any yeah, of yep, yep. I saw a bit of that. I mean, it's it's uh, it's always a bit hard to, to tell on the pooch. Still no one has explained to us why it's, it's called the pooch, but unfortunately he was bowling at the other end, so the keeper's obscuring your view a little bit, so you don't quite get to see uh, everything that's going on, but... You know, look, I mean, you know, he it's we don't want to get too excited about his bowling because, you know, he hasn't really done this at a first class level. He has bowled, you know, a decent sort of second spinner kind of played that role at, at um the first class level. But it's exciting to see that they're obviously thinking about it. And I guess that's that's how we can get a spinner into this side, right? If he can be an all rounder, they he's generally an opening batsman for Wellington. He batted six in this game. In the A game, scored a hundred, scored one hundred and forty-four, not out, and then took six for in the second innings to, to I guess you know, to bowl them to a victory, which is something you don't see in New Zealand. Is there a chance that any of your top five or six batters develop the you know occasional finger spin? Well, Kane Williamson shot? does it, doesn't he? But he he's shown a reluctance really in the last few years to bowl, and and you know I, I don't think he would because of that, probably put himself up in, in that class where he feels that he's comfortable to bowl. So, I mean, you know, like I said, as much as I want to see that, it's it's just not something we can really consider at home, but it is something we are going to have to try and not ignore and just go, okay, well, we've got this great seam attack. We can ignore it and carry on because it's going to be an important part of our test cricket. There is a young uh, leg spinner up here in Auckland, Eddie Ashok, who, um, you know, was in the New Zealand under-19s uh, leg spinner, he, you know, looks really promising. Played a, he's got 14 wickets in a in a club game uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, very, he's a someone I think that we should probably keep our eyes on in the future. But yeah, it's we just have to pick these seamers at the moment. There's nothing that Wagner can't do. Maybe you should uh, develop a few little tweakers. You oh, know, when the, when the short stuff's not working, the when the ball's Sobers gone mold. to sleep, he can just come on and rag a few. There you go. It's the Gary Sobers technique. You bowl, bowl seam up and then bowl a couple of little left-arm tweakers or leggies or something. That'd be perfect. So look, fair to say it's a New Zealand-dominated series. Some chat going round, as it always does in these sort of situations, about different tiers of test cricket. Good thing or bad thing? Oh, look... It- I don't know. I mean, to me, that that feels like a it feels like a really slippery slope to start doing something like that. Uh, you know, that's isn't that what the big three have been trying to do for years to play more tests against Australia? You know, India, Australia, and England just play each other all the time and, and get the big revenue. So it feels to me like you do something like that and introduce that, they're just going to get to they're going to get exactly what they want, and suddenly it's, it's going to be dangerous. Yeah, no, I'm completely against it. I'll give you two examples. So the first one is, is rugby league, where you've definitely got tiered nations, and it's just dominated by Australia, New Zealand, England at sometimes, and now Tonga, when they've had their players return, mm. you can see they're actually starting to develop as a nation. The other one is rugby, which, aside from the reset scrums, uh, <laughs> the, the, the example there is Argentina. When they've come into the rugby championship, they've developed incredibly as a, as a rugby team. In cricket, we just need to keep. We need to have everybody keep playing everybody. We cannot have them sort of sectioned off to the to the top six and bottom four or whatever it is. And the cricket relevant example here is Ireland came in and played a really good Test match against England and and you know put a bit of a scare up the English early on in that Test match. Ultimately, weren't able to win it, but they bowled England out reasonably cheaply and did very well. The only way that these associate nations get experience and get better at test cricket is by playing opposition who are better than they are and learning from the experience and having that exposure for kids 
10, 15 years later to want to go and play cricket for their country. That doesn't happen if you've got, with all due respect to Singapore and Hong Kong, if Singapore and Hong Kong are playing test cricket, that's not going to be an event that young Singaporeans and young citizens of Hong Kong will want to go up and play test cricket. They have to be playing against some of the bigger nations. Do you think this question comes up uh, because of you know recent history where we've seen like Zimbabwe, we've seen Bangladesh, who haven't really you know risen to the equation? I'm not sure what it is about the Bangladesh sort of situation. I'm not sure what their infrastructure looks like, but with the Zimbabwean team, they had a great team, mm. you know, going into that late '90s, early 2000s sort of sort of thing where sort of politics took over. That that's a different story. I think that you know if they had their players, they they could be challenging a lot of teams now. Bangladesh, I'm not. 100% sure why that is. but Well, I think it's about the long-term nature of that relationship that the ICC has with all of the nations and the way that they share the revenue. Sri Lanka, I think, debuted in Test Cricket in 1982 and didn't really start to become a you know anything like a force until probably even the early to mid-90s. They obviously won that World Cup in 96, I think. Um, and the same to an extent with you know Zimbabwe that we've talked about and even Bangladesh, who've become very difficult to beat at home, particularly with that little trio of, of spinners. So I, almost you've got to keep investing in it. And if you look at Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe, they've probably had that investment and they've got that sort of, um, I guess, kudos from some of those nations where they've caused the odd upset in a one-day tournament, which has you know got them some test cricket. But it's a 10-year cycle. They have some political tr- trouble. They can't get the money and the infrastructure um, going for, for a long enough period of time to co- produce that next generation of players. So I think that's what, that's you know what it's got to be about, hasn't it? Is setting up these these sides for success over fifteen or twenty years, and um, to be able to compete. And that's not to say that those nations shouldn't be playing long form red ball cricket against each other. Absolutely, they should. Whether or not you have a tiered test match system where the West Indies can't play Australia for four years because they haven't qualified in the top tier, I don't think is the right answer. Getting those teams more cricket against each other is a good thing. But doing that at the expense of being able to play the top tiers is not a good thing. Yeah, and no, I mean, let's just say, like, we're not saying Western is an associate nation here. I mean, let's, no, let's not at clarify all. that. No, but I mean, not at all. I guess on the flip side, what what have they learned from this tour? They've come down here and just been absolutely demolished in this test series. I think you've got to go back to the, the, the piece, potential and, and promise from a West Indies point of view. Because on the field, the results on the field, they can't take very much from that at all. But they have unearthed a couple of really promising young cricketers. And if they can develop them and keep them in their system, which has always been the challenge for West Indies cricket, no matter how far back you go over the last 20 years, that's been their problem. They've got lots and lots of wonderful young cricketers who have a lot of promise. Getting them to play test cricket for a long period of time in the same team together has always been the challenge. In Joshua De Silva, they've got a ready-made top five or top six batter who can who can keep wicket. I think he is incredibly promising. He looks comfortable. It's interesting they batted him so low. You know, Holder was going in ahead of him. I thought, yeah. It's a really interesting decision because of, because of all of those players. He looks the most comfortable off the front foot and the back foot. Mm. He, was, he was excellent. He looked to be able to score both sides of the wicket off the front and back foot. He's a real one for the future. And I thought Chima Holder on debut was also really, really good. Yeah, I guess I'm going to be a bit overly critical here, but I don't think that the West Indies batsmen had the the tools to deal with the pitches that they were put on. Uh, and that's 100% on them. They have to be able to play in all conditions. But I think that there's an incredible talent within that batting order. I don't think that they can't develop that, but they need to take this away and look at what they did differently mm. to New Zealand. 
in order to grow. And yeah. I, we, I mean, we talked about the importance of Darren Bravo, and, and I think part of it is you, you, we talk about talent. I, I really like the look of Campbell. I really like the look of Brooks. I really like the look of Blackwood. But they're batting in key positions and are expected to score lots and lots of runs. You go back five, ten years and where you've got the likes of a Chandra Paul, a Hooper, a Lara. You've got those guys. You look at the successful teams. We're talking about New Zealand right now with Will Young on the block. You've got Conway coming in. When they come in and bat, they're going to be batting with Tom Latham. They're going to be batting with Kane. They're going to be batting with Ross Taylor. They're going to be batting with BJ Watling. Mm. The West Indies just don't have that axis of a one, three, five, seven to slot their two, four, six into. Mm. Um, and, and that's going to be the thing. They've got to keep, as you said, Baldy, the nucleus of a test side together for a period of time. Yeah and actually learn to play Test cricket and learn their roles in Test cricket over a period of time. And that's going to be the challenge for West Indies moving forward, is actually deciding of that top six who they keep around. I'm going to disagree with you on John Campbell there. I think Craig Brathwaite shows slightly more promise. And I and I and if, if if Shane Dowrich, and let's show, hope Shane Dowrich gets back into Test cricket, because he's been a really good performer for the West Indies over the last two years. With the bat. With, with the bat especially. Um, oh, he's, he, look, let's let's be fair. He struggled with the gloves and Shamar Brooks and Josh De Silva both looked more comfortable. But I think there's more at play with Shane Dowrich's mental state than, than we know at this point. So let's hope he can get back on the cricket field and get himself in a good mental state. If he's back in the team, Josh De Silva goes to the top of the order and it already starts to have a little bit of a different shape to it. Nicholas Puran, if he comes in, that'll have a different shape to it. But they need to decide of Chase and Shamar Brooks and Jermaine Blackwood, what their middle order needs to look like in three or four years' time, pick those players and stick with them for the next three or four years because that has to be the nucleus of West Indies cricket moving forward. Do we want to just quickly touch upon the umpiring? We've got an interview with Chris Brown coming up in the feed um, very shortly. His debut test and... Baldy, I think you, you noted not often you hear an umpire get mentioned in the commentary for having a good game, and uh, he certainly did. To counter that, though, you've got some comments from Jason Holder afterwards. Um, hasten to add, he wasn't criticising the umpiring, but was just asking the question around if we can have you know, 30, 40 players in a bubble, why can't there be a neutral umpire in that bubble, at least one, um, with standing with a home umpire? But yeah, shout out to the umps from this series. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, we, uh, you know, we know Chris Brown from uh, his days at East Coast Bays, and and you know, followed his career. So it's it was fantastic to see him. Obviously, first get that opportunity to to umpire a home test. He talks in that interview about how you know how exciting that that opportunity would have been, but like uh, that over that we talked about with Kyle Jamison, I think that's where it shone for me about what a good game he was having because both so the hat trick ball hit the pads, and I went, oh, yep, out. Done. You know, I got I got carried away in the emotion of that moment, and it would have been so easy for him to just go, "Oh, yep, hit him on the toe in front of middle. That's out," and not even think, "Okay, that's swinging down leg." Mm. And even the the next ball, which that that emotion is still buzzing through that team. The crowd was pumped up, and he still, you know, he made the right call. Yeah, he w- he was excellent in his debut Test match, and even Mark Richardson, who is a pretty harsh critic of of officialdom and and of and of umpires. He thought so too. He, he said that this guy's had an incredible game, and he did. He had a really, really good game. He was not afraid to give decisions not out, and he got it right all the time. I don't think he had a bad decision at all, a really good test match for Chris Brown. I didn't hear that comment by Jason Holder. I don't know if that – I don't think it's appropriate. 
Yeah, it was a weird one. I I saw that that being announced as well, and I, I, yeah, I don't I don't really know where it come from because I don't feel like there were too many you know terrible decisions or anything. There were a couple of obviously the West Indies had a few where they didn't review things or well, the, things. the T Twenty games. Some of them were a bit interesting, but I don't think that's a that's a neutral umpire issue. And like you said, that if Brownie had got caught in, caught up in the moment and given that hat trick ball, yeah, they just review it. Yeah, you've got your three reviews. I I yeah, I'm I'm a bit perplexed by that comment. Think they need to look internally rather than externally. Yeah, look, I, I don't think his comments were saying that there was a problem. I think if you look at it, it's probably one sentence in a press conference of fifty sentences, and they've pulled that as the, yeah, you know, as the as the pull quote. But um, it, yeah, I mean, it is a question, isn't it? And we've talked about it a lot on the pod, um, and I, I think our views would uh, differ from Jason Holders on this. But look, that's probably a good place to wrap up this segment of the pod. We will be back to talk preview of the upcoming T20 series and also Australia, India. Well, we're going to use the momentum of the swish to get into our next section of the podcast. Quick five minutes on New Zealand, Pakistan. T20 is coming up. We'll be at Eden Park again Friday night for the first of those installments. Lots to talk about in terms of the squads, um, but also how much has that build-up been disrupted for Pakistan with their um, quarantine situation. But yeah, let's start with the, the New Zealand squad first, Lippy. Yeah, so I guess probably the, the interesting points. I mean, there's a uh, big change between the, the first game and the, the games two and three because obviously the quick turnaround with the tests, so all the players that were involved in the tests, Jamison, Mitchell, Williamson, etc., are not playing in game one, which does um, give an opportunity for, for Jacob Duffy to come in and potentially debut. You know, he's in that squad, whether he will get his chance. I sort of hope he does. You know, the fact that you bring someone to the squad, I hope they are going to give him a shot before he departs for, for those games. But, you know, I think that's really exciting. He's had strong performances for a number of years in, in the domestic scene and, and really deserves his shot. You know, when we spoke to him, it was very clear that he, he wanted that shot and felt like he deserved he was, it. He was really fired up about it. He really wanted to, to get Yeah, that. real passionate yeah. about it, eh? Yeah. So happy for him. Good job. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's really good. We've seen uh, the return of Todd Astle, which I think um, probably is a nod to the T20 World Cups that are coming yep. up. The fact that, you know, there are now three spinners in the squad so you know I, I don't know that we're going to see more than what you know more we're not going to see all three of them in, in any of those games Mitchell Santner is actually departing for the final two games because mm. he hasn't played he hasn't had a break since uh, the CPL I think because he probably didn't expect to be in this test bubble but he's been in that for New Zealand and yeah so he's going to get a chance to have a little refresher but Todd Astle back in the mix I think yeah like I said the fact that we play in India in that T20 World Cup, which means he's going to be in, you know, they'll probably take three spinners to that tour. And then in Australia, we've already seen Big Bash in these India series already. The bigger grounds, you know, though the spin plays a big role in T20 cricket. Mm, there's plenty of room for leg spin and wrist spin in, in Indian uh, T20 cricket, that's for sure. Uh, and I think, you know, you've already touched on Taylor. We had a good chat about that. But the other really, really disappointing news from a New Zealand point of view is, is Lockie Ferguson. An injury, uh, yeah, a, a bone a bone stress injury to the lumbar. You know, scans are being had. I, th I think they're expecting to know the extent of it today or tomorrow, New Zealand time, We're recording this on a Tuesday. But, yeah, the, it feels like a – it feels really, really uh, like some – bad stuff is going to happen for him and and we you know he might be out for for the whole summer hopefully not longer and i just feel gutted for him because he was such breathed so much life into that t20 series he's 
bowled really well in the IPL. You know, you could see that he was really ready to kind of stamp his mark on the international scene. We, you know, we're talking about how can we get him in the test side? We're, we're just so pumped to see him. And, and now, you know, he's going to have a, a, a potentially a long recovery there as, as well. So that's really gutting. Uh, Degron Holm as well uh, is, is missing this series and uh, is going to miss the, the Pakistan test series as well. Uh, he's he has another bone stress injury uh, in his in his foot, which is uh, the the injury he's been dealing with. But uh, why why do we not say stress fractures anymore? Is it, it seems to be bone stress injury. I'm assuming they're the same thing. I can only assume so. I, I assume that there's some kind of negative connotation that everyone will get if if you say that someone has a stress fracture. Uh, look, Lockie Ferguson. I hope you get better soon, fella. And I hope the injury is is not as bad as as we perhaps are, are thinking that it possibly could be standing here talking about it on the podcast because he has been a breath of fresh air. He's a really likable character um, and really wanted to do well for New Zealand in all formats. So let's hope he gets back on the cricket field really soon and Colin de Gronholm likewise. So what I'm looking forward to is what the batting lineup is going to look like. Do we have any any uh, ideas around the table? Who's opening the batting? Oh, I think I think they'll go with a much similar top four than that they did last time. That we'll see Guptill, you know, Guptill, Seifert, Phillips, Conway. That will be the top four. That, that probably the fact that Gavin Larson, you know, mentioned that he made a point of saying that in in the Taylor comment. Um, that oh yeah, I mean Williamson's going to have to fit in there somewhere, mm. and I and I think that you know that he's missing that first game. So I think for first game we'll see those four play, and then we're gonna yeah then. Oh, I don't know. Maybe Seifert's the one that's that's probably going to miss out. And that really excites me. I'm just sorry, <laughs> I think that came out wrong. What excites me about that is seeing that top four: the Guptill Williamson opening, maybe, and then uh, Conway and Phillips, or Phillips and Conway, whatever way you want to have them round. That's a really exciting top four that can that is world class. It can take on any team into going into this 2020 World Cup. Yeah, lots to like, isn't there? And for Pakistan, the dangerous throwdowns. Babar Azama's chip to thumb, getting a few throws, so he's out. But what are we looking forward to in this Pakistan side? Can I just say I'm really looking forward to Baldi saying Shaheen Shahafridi many, many times for, many, for the many next times. couple of weeks. You yeah. can't say fuck as a man though, can he? Because no, he's not in the squad he, again. He had COVID-like symptoms and was was left on the was left at the airport. Unfortunately, he won't be here joining us. But uh, what I'm really looking forward to in the in the white ball cricket is Shaheen Shahafridi. Uh, I saw him in <laughs> Brisbane and I was really excited to watch him with a white ball at Eden Park bowling short and into the wicket. I think he's going to be very exciting as is. Wahab Riaz will have to wait until Boxing Day in Tauranga uh, or at the Mount at Bay Oval to see Naseem Shah in action for Pakistan. He'll be playing in the Red Bull stuff only. So Shadab Khan will captain Pakistan now in the White Ball series. Uh, a recall for Safraz Ahmed um, and, and also a, a chance to see Mohammad Rizwan as well in action, who I've been very impressed with since he took the gloves from Pakistan in the last little while. So um, a lot to like there, but I expect New Zealand to dominate this series. Do you think that uh, they're under quite a lot of pressure, the, the Pakistani bowlers? They were poor in Australia, they were poor in England, and now they're, they're coming to New Zealand and they've got to deliver something. Well, and, and they've come in this, you know, this environment, this disruption. You know, they're professional cricketers. They, sh- you know, they have been training, but surely it's going to have some sort of impact here that they, they've, they were stuck in those, ho- those hotels, they couldn't train for a while. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be up against it, but... The thing about them is that they they always come out with aggression. You know, we're gonna you mentioned Wahab Riaz. You know that that's a big factor of his game. They're, they're going to take New Zealand on, aren't they? You know, so you would expect so. Yeah, absolutely. You would expect that they will they will take New Zealand on. 
um, particularly with a little bit of short pitch bowling, which on Eden Park is not a bad tactic to bowl into the wicket and try and get hit square rather than get hit down the ground where you're going to get punished. So let's come to predictions then before we wrap this segment up. Border, you said it's going to be a dominant performance from New Zealand. What's the what's the score you're going to attach to New that? Zealand won't lose a game. So the only time that New Zealand will lose will be if it's affected by rain. Raj? Uh, I'm, I'm along the same lines. Uh, can we just refresh what is the schedule? So it's two... Three, three, three T20s. Three T20s. And, and then we've got the, the two tests. Two yeah, yeah I, I think that we will definitely win the two tests. Uh, you know, two nil. And it'll be hard to see us losing in 2020, but I'm going to give them one, two, one. Yeah, I'd, I'd be much the same. I th- yeah, like I said, the, I think the disruption really, really is going to hurt them. It, it, more from a mindset point of view, you know, you talked about them, Raj, being under pressure already to come here and perform. And, and then this kind of gives them that out. They've already sort of said, oh, you know, we thought about going home and stuff. And, you know, it, you know, I, I hope from a spectacle point of view, we get a really good series. But, I, I mean, I do hope from a New Zealand point of view, particularly in those tests, that we're just, you know, too good and, and win those games. Yeah, it's- and, it's going to be really interesting, actually, to see what this looks like in 12 months' time when they do an analysis of the away teams. Because you look at, and I think the biggest biggest component of the game that's affected is the fielding. You look at India and Australia, their, their fielding unit's pretty good these days. They were average in a few of those games. Mm. West Indies have been poor here as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to see what Pakistan can do, but it definitely has an effect. It must. Yeah. What, what, actually, what do you think it says about New Zealand in terms of, uh, you know, we could probably talk about this for a lot longer, but, you know, we're seeing the West Indies and then Pakistan come. They they were the teams that went to England. West Indies obviously got a test off England. Uh, you know, did, I guess, I guess you know, we're not going to probably be able to answer this question until we see how they go against uh, Pakistan, but I guess that will give us a barometer in some degree of, of where New Zealand stands against England in, in that level as well. Well, you only need to look at the points table. It looks as if New Zealand can make it to that Lord's final pretty easily. Their destiny is absolutely in their hands. Um, I think for my prediction, I, I'm not going to ramble on. I think it's 5-0 to, to New Zealand. I think they win the T20s 3-0, and I think they take both the test matches pretty comfortably. Um, and I think as a barometer, I just think that New Zealand are a pretty decent side at home. Um, and with the exception of probably... Um, you know, that series in Australia that we've talked about a hell of a lot, they're pretty decent on the road as well. They've got all the constituents of a decent cricket side. New Zealand 0.086 away from being the number one test side in the world. So uh, apart from a little glitch in the uh, ICC website the other night, New Zealand were the test side for about 24 <laughs> hours uh, until they, they sorted out some rounding issues on the ICC test rankings. But New Zealand are, are excellent excellent test series, uh, excellent test side at home, I should say, and they'll be very tough to beat for a Pakistan side that should get a lot of credit uh, for, for getting cricket back on our back on our TV screens and back in our, our living rooms, um, West Indies as well, but I think New Zealand will be too strong. Well, we're going to be back straight after the swish with Australia-India preview. We're back. We've got more concussion. Baldy, what's going on? Everyone's getting sweated. Yeah, lots of players affected by uh, the concussion protocol in the A-game. Australia A taking on India uh, midweek and both um, Cameron Green uh, affected by a concussion while bowling, incidentally, bowling to Jasper Brumra, had a ball struck back at him with force and burst through his hands, hit him on the side of the head and he was in in the concussion protocol and also a Harry Conway uh, for the Australian bowler was was struck while batting and although didn't show signs of a concussion immediately, he developed them later on and he's now been ruled out. But they're just a couple of uh, several injuries that Australia are looking down the barrel of 
uh, going into this test match starting in a couple of days' time against an Indian side that have battered themselves back into form. Do we think, and we're not going to have the stats to back this up, we just think this is the protocols. Um, has this always been going on? Have we have we essentially been having players play with concussion for the last 20 years and we've just not really noticed it? It's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I, I think that that's that's the question because, yeah, it, it does seem surprising that it is happening more often in, in terms of ruling people out. I mean, you would you would think uh, certainly in you know rugby league or something like that, it has you would expect it has been going on the whole time and and just been you know going on but yeah in cricket it's it's hard to know i i think it has been going on for a while i think that those players who were hit on the head 20 years ago and that experienced slight headaches a couple of days later wouldn't have told the team doctor that they were getting headaches. They would have just gone, no, I'm playing test cricket. There's no way I'm not playing in this next test match. You're going to have to cut my arm or my leg off to prevent me from playing. So I think those guys, no disrespect to the guys who are playing now, they're listening to the medical advice and doing absolutely the right thing. I just think guys 20 years ago would have had a slightly different attitude towards the symptoms that their bodies were telling them. Maybe, you know, you need to take a little bit of time off at this point. Yeah, and that's 100% right. I think it, to answer your question succinctly, I think it is the protocol. So they're being given the, the substitution and they're taking it, which is the right thing to do. Yep. But if, if you looked at, you know, there's those series of, of hits to the head, the only one that looked like they would be immediately unable to continue was Will Pukowski. Yep. And he has history with uh, football, which is one of those, you know, car crash collision sports where you are getting multiple hits to the head. And, you know, that's you know, possibly why he was in that, that state, but I can't comment on that. Uh, yeah, so succinctly, yes, this has been happening and they've been continuing on, I think. It, it's fascinating, though, basically, that it's that it's unfolded this way for Australia, right? Because we've had Pukowski and Green, who were these the two names that everyone was talking about two weeks ago. Now it looks like both of them, you know, not because they're not selected for these tests, they, they're most probably you know, won't have the opportunity to play in these tests. David Warner's been ruled out. Joe Burns has suddenly, you know, his form has, has slipped. And now, you know, Marcus Harris, who's someone, you know, probably no one was even talking about three weeks ago, everyone's, you know, really excited that he's going to potentially be back in the test fold. Yeah, Absolutely. so I think it's out today that Green will play if fit. Is that right? Yeah, so Justin Langer has announced today, New Zealand time, uh, Tuesday New Zealand time, that uh, if medically cleared to play, Cameron Green will play in the first test. Um, and they'll reshuffle the batting order, whatever that looks like, to accommodate Cameron Green playing somewhere in that middle order. So the scuttlebutt is that either Matthew Wade will go up to open and allow Marnus and Smith and Travis Head to bat three, four, five, and Cameron Green will bat six, or that if they feel like Marnus should open, then everyone goes up one and Cameron Green will slot in at six. You'll have Smith at three, Travis Head at four, and Matthew Wade will bat five. Now you've just got to figure out of Burns and Harris who is the other opener to join that person, whoever they are, for the first test. Um, where where are you going, Baldy? Look, for 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 the sake of Joe Burns' career, he's a really likeable fella and he's you know good in the Australian dressing room. I think that he needs, for his own sake, to go back to Sheffield Shield and score three or four hundreds and get his form back because if he... If he plays in this India series and makes a series of low scores, he I don't think he will play test cricket for Australia again. If he goes back to the state setup and makes a bucket of runs for Queensland and gets his form back in a year or so, he might force his way back into the side. Harris has done everything right in terms of his shield form and his and his form leading up to this tournament. If you looked at the 
just if you looked at just the stats, Marcus Harris must play instead of Joe Burns. The only thing that I think will save Joe Burns from the axe is the fact that he's the incumbent. Um, the thing that's working against him from that perspective is that his opening partner, David Warner, who really likes batting with Joe Burns, isn't going to be playing in that first test. So do you keep Burns with a view that David Warner will come back at some point, or do you go, actually, Marcus Harris is, is in much better form. We need to play him at the top of the order uh, for Australia. Look, there's plenty of other guys being talked about. Kawaj has been mentioned. Sean Marsh has been mentioned, made runs the other night for uh, the Melbourne Renegades against his old Perth Scorchers side. But I think it will be Marcus Harris and one of Manus or Matthew Wade at the top of the order for Australia come Friday. It'll be interesting. I actually think they will pick pick Joe Burns to open the batting uh, with um, whoever. Whoever is uh, Marcus Harris won't play, in my opinion. Even though I watched a lot of him bat in that A game, and he looks really good. He's a good player. Really, really comfortable off the back foot. Uh, and it'll be interesting, interesting to see what the Indian bowlers do because they didn't bowl that well. I feel in the um, A games. When's Warner going to be fit? Well, it's a race against time for Boxing Day. I think he's targeting Boxing Day to return for Melbourne, but I think that will be a real race against time for him to have that hamstring injury right and be match fit again for, for Boxing Day. I think there's a good chance that he'll play in the New Year's Test in Sydney instead. Yeah. I, I guess the one thing I would say is that bringing Wade to open the batting, um, that creates an issue if he does well, doesn't it, to an extent that you've then got Wade and Warner at the top of the order who both essentially pretty aggressive players. I wonder whether or not what they'll do here is go Burns and Harris and that's a shootout for who's going to probably continue for, for Australia when Warner's fit again. Possibly. The only thing that works in Wade's favour is that it's going to be, you're only going to play at, as an opening batsman for these two tests. Whereas if you pick... if you pick Harsh on him though. I know, it is. It is admittedly unfair, but he'll go back to a role in the middle order, you would think, once that kind of everything sorts itself out. Have they given a, a time frame on Wilpikowski or they've just said for the future... I don't think they've given any time frame from his recovery from injury and, and with his history of of head injuries and, and concussions, I think it may be up he may be out for a couple more weeks yet. But I don't I don't know and we haven't heard any reports from the Australian Medicos to that effect. You mentioned the, the Indian bowlers before and, and I think in that A game we didn't really see the the top strength Indian side. Do you think that's gonna be a mistake going into this pink ball test? Uh I'm, I'm going to say no, and the reason is that the Indian bowlers that are there, so obviously Sharma's not there, but you've got Bumrah, you've got Shami, you've got uh, Ravi Ashwin, who did play. Mm. Uh, but those guys are, are now seasoned professionals. They've done the job once in Australia uh, 18 months ago, two years ago, in 2018, and they've been doing the job at home with the ball, all around the world, in fact, with mm. the ball. Mm. So I think that giving them that rest after the one-day series is is probably what... what They've banked on you know them having the experience to get them through the test matches. No, I, I worry about their batting though. I, I do worry that they haven't exposed Coley and Pujara. You know those those guys who are going to be so crucial to them in that series. Maybe you know maybe they did want a rest, like you say. Maybe they felt that that was the best formula. But I, I think we saw in that New Zealand what what I took most from that New Zealand series, and you know maybe it's trying to gleam some uh, some credit back for New Zealand is that that final session is incredibly hard to bat on under that pink ball. And, you know, New Zealand found themselves... It's going to be Australia's plan, right, to, to make sure that as much as possible in these tests, they're going to be bowling at India in that final session. 
Absolutely. I mean, you saw Australia get skittled against India in the A game for about 100 or so batting under lights. And um, I think Umesh Yadav might have been the first A game bowl really well for India. And he probably has locked himself in for that first test to partner with Mohamed Shami and, and Jasprit Bumrah. But yeah, absolutely. It's, the, it's going to be the team that bowls under lights first that could have a big advantage in that pink ball test. So some breaking news just coming in. We're recording this on a Tuesday evening. Steve Smith apparently not netted for Australia in a departure from his pre-match routine has left the training session apparently with a gesture, um, shaking his left arm, but apparently a back injury potentially in the offing um, for Wow, um, for Australia. So Daniel Bretag um, has just broken that story on Crick Info we need, as we as we need we some breaking news. We need a breaking thing. news swish, don't we? We should add that to the <laughs> um, to the list. Look, so we can't really unpick that um, in real time. India selection. Who are the incumbents? Do we think in or who are the people they're going to go with? There's three or four little permutations there. So yes, just to go back to to Stu's question on the um, A game, I found it very strange that Kohli didn't play that uh, pink ball warm up. I thought he would have just for the fact it is a pink ball mm. game. Uh, but no, I think that, yes, yeah, so the incumbents you've got, you've got um, Agrawal opening, and I think that Gil has done enough to... To to be to Shaw. I think, he's, I think he's taken that spot away from Shaw. Shaw hasn't been batting well, and uh, Gil scored runs in that second uh, pink ball test. And then it, it's, it's status quo all the way through. They're not going to change any of those batsmen uh, all the way down to... Yeah, I think punt, we can punt Saha. I think we can we can we can pick. I, I think that Saha will play. Saha yeah. plays right. So I think punt plays. I think if you look at the way that they've gone, um, they've gone with Saha at home because he's a better gloveman when they're going to play two or three spinners, and they'll go punt because they're going to play a seam attack with one spinner. So I think punt starts. So you, you think they're worried about betting depth? Well, no, I just think that that's their game plan on these type of wickets. And uh, look, for me, really telling that Pants batted ahead of Saha in those those warm-ups, I think um, you want to get some overs into your, your batters. I know Saha had a pretty good end to the IPL with the Sunrisers. Hyderabad came in for Johnny Bairstow and, and, and got uh, got some runs. But yeah, no, no sort of substitute for red or pink ball, um, build an innings kind of stuff. And he didn't get given that opportunity. So I think Pants starts for me. What about Boomerah? Betting He could bat seven. How, how good was that 50? Honestly, I, like we talked about Neil Wagner's 50 before. Boomer's 50. Unbelievable. It's he, he can't keep though. No, well, he can't keep. That's 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 a bit <laughs> of a concern. But everything else. But how good? I just I thought that was such a, a great little moment uh, given the fact, I think I saw that he his highest score ever in first class cricket was 16 not out or something. And, you know, to go and, and get 50 in an A game, I, as a as a tail ender, I just had to to throw that in there, even though it has absolutely no relevance for for the series. But uh, it yeah. is fantastic when you see a number eleven get get a get a couple of get a couple away and get it and get a big score. That was uh, fantastic to see. Not great from Australian perspective, but I enjoyed watching him bat. I don't think that'll change the order though, Stu. You think he'll still bat, Jack? No. Yeah. What spinner do you think India play then, Lippy? Oh, I think I think it's Ashwin now, and um, particularly that Jadeja is you know ruled out. I think Ashwin. Plays, you know, he's obviously the incumbent and, and been there for for a while, and yeah, I, that that would be me. How close is Kuldeep Yadav? Do you think genuinely in that Indian setup to to being their number one spinner? Oh, you'd you'd have to ask their their coaching setup, but I mean the fact that he's been used so sparingly, I I think suggests that he's not that close. Mm. You know, he hasn't hasn't really had many opportunities. I think that Kuldeep Yadav is actually a really good bowler. He's had he's had a lot of time with Shane Warne as well, uh, so I, I'm. 
I think that they will pay Ashwin just because of his mm. history. Maybe in Sydney they might pay too. I don't know. But I think uh, Yadav is the next cab off the rank in terms of spinning, I feel. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, uh, look, I think they'll play Ashwin. I'd go with Yadav personally. I think you put Ashwin, it's that's Ashwin against Lyon, isn't it? And I, I just don't think there's a comparison on those um, Australian decks that Lyon's proved he's a, a pretty worthy foe from, from that perspective and Rohit Sharma looks like he is going to be fit for those tests uh, three and four they've said he can bat he can field but he needs to do a bit of treadmill work whilst he's in quarantine apparently I think he's in a um, so no that's from the Indian cricket board not oh, from wow. me by the way um, <laughs> uh, they didn't say it quite so um, succinctly succinctly um, but yeah they certainly said that his conditioning is something that will need to be um, sort of getting to whilst he's in uh, in quarantine but yeah, that that bolsters their order, and whoever opens the batting's gonna have to score a score some runs to keep him out of the side, aren't they? And, and you know, I guess any, I guess anything else here before we go into to whether they actually have a chance in the series. Well, just that is an interesting point you make because Rohit Sharma can easily slot into that number four position, which will be vacant. So it'll be interesting to see how the Indian pair go opening. But well, they just bump them up to four, don't they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, do, do they have a chance in this series? Oh, absolutely they do. I I think that this will be... As big a chance as New Zealand had last year. Bigger, yeah. way bigger. Yeah. No, no, okay. way, way, way bigger. No, I don't, no, I'm not being facetious. No, being I, yeah. no I, absolutely. I think this is 2-1, two, 2-2, two, two, this what, test series. What, what makes you think that? I'm, I'm, I like the Indian side. I'm not I'm not trying to be... To, to diminish their quality. I just think it's proving harder and harder to win at home. Australia in particular seems like one of the most difficult places in the world, sort of on par with yep. back in the day when you went back, when you when going to India was the hardest place to go. What is it about India that equips them to to, you know, perform better than New Zealand did when they went there? When both sides have been ranked relatively highly on the ladder, I think India's bowling attack will trouble Australia. I think Australia have, um, apart from Manus and Stephen Smith who have been traditionally very good performers for Australia at home. Certainly they were uh, in the Ashes and, and last summer, disrespectively. You know, Manus was good in, in the home summer, Steve Smith was good in the Ashes and has found a bit of form in the one-day series. Other than those guys, the rest of that Australian top six is pretty vulnerable um, to, to being knocked over all in a row. You know what I mean? Australia could just as easily score 450 on the first day of the first test or the first day and a half or be bowled out for 172.20. You know, I, I, I have that feeling about the Australian top order. It doesn't fill me with confidence um, that they will bat to the 330, 350 that they're going to need to be really competitive against that Indian attack. If Australia can't figure their way past Pujara, I think India have got a lot of runs in them. If Australia can dismiss Pujara and Kohli, then I think India are similarly vulnerable. But if those guys bat for long periods of time, the Indian bottom half of their order, particularly if Punt plays, are really well positioned to cash in massively against an Australian attack that might get tired at some point. 100% runs. India's done it. They did it two years ago. They've scored runs in Australia against the exact same bowling attack that they're about to face. And they're bowling Australia out too. That's the other side of the coin. They've got a t they've got a they've got a similar sort of bowling attack to Australia, where they're probably lacking a little bit in terms of the spin you're talking about versus Nathan Lyon. But the other bowlers do have the ability, and they've had the form around the world where they have gone and taken wickets with with the paces up front. I I do think that David Warner is going to be a massive, uh, what do we call him, a bishop in this game of chess. 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know when he's going to come back, but Australia need his runs. And he, he's what, what someone was saying. He averages sixty five in Australia. Mm. Something like that's incredible. Huge. It might even be higher than that. It's in, it's his intent, isn't it? That you know you saw that and yeah, thinking back to that New Zealand series, just the way he would start and starts his innings and gets singles and you know. Obviously, it didn't it didn't turn out when he was in England and, and Stuart Broad had him on toast. But you know the way he can just get an innings going and get that momentum away from those bowlers is huge. Yeah, for, for me, I think this first test is really key, and I, I know the first test in a series is always really key. I, I think if India can snag that, and that the the reason they will or the reason they have an opportunity, in my view, is that there is that little bit of a worry and a concern around that Australian. Um, top and middle order you know there's a lot of questions now when you've got um, you know Smith has just gone off injured from a net session you don't know who your openers are going to be is Wade going to come up the order or back down the order is Cameron Green going to debut at number six Tim Payne you know at number seven probably looks one too high at seven for me when that top six isn't firing and going really well yeah that's fair so if the Indians come out of the gate and can and can snag that game um, based on you know based on runs I think that puts them in a you know a, a much better position, um, and it's the lottery of it being a pink ball test as well. So you've got that. Who's got the you know brand new pink kookaburra when the lights come on at the right time? Um, so that yeah, that first game I just think is really key for me. I, I I'm going to be pretty bold. I think it's four 0 Australia if they win the first one, um, and I think it's a pretty close series if India snag the first one. I I tend to agree in terms of those predictions. I I, I really think I'm probably leaning towards you know three one Australia. I just feel like you know at the cases that you've put out, I, I just feel like it's so hard to win at, at away from home these days. And yeah, if if India can't if India can't take those wickets up front, it's going to be a long long series for them. I think that uh, there'll be a draw in Melbourne, so it'll be 2-1 to Australia, I think. India will win the first test. Uh, a massive part of this, as we, we've talked about David Warner, but the massive part of this also is whether Jasper Bumrah can take some wickets. Yeah, uh, He hasn't bowled well so far in this tour, uh, and he's a massive key to, to pushing those Australians back. Right, I think India will win the first test in Adelaide. Um, Are we going to see a Virat masterclass? I think we will. Yep, he's got one test to, to, to prove his quality and he will absolutely show us his quality. If he can do that, I think India have an advantage, a big advantage in that first test in Adelaide and that will take a lot of momentum into Melbourne and Sydney. I think if if Australia are ahead at that point, I think Australia will win quite comfortably in Brisbane because I think that in at the back end of January, that wicket, unless it's raining will start to get a bit brown and a bit of wear and tear and a few cracks. And it might look a little bit more like a whacker pitch with big cracks in it that might work for Australia's seamers a little bit and maybe even for Nathan Lyon as well than we do in terms of the like beginning of the test summer where you see it kind of seaming around a bit and a little bit green and, and that kind of thing. But India, if they can win the first test, I think can finish the series 2-2. And I think that's what's going to happen. Good to see we've got a consensus then. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, look, that does just about wrap up this podcast. We've run a little longer than we probably thought with the run sheet, but we've talked about a lot of stuff as we've gone through uh, this week in cricket and also previews and reviews of those series going on around the world. As always, please do dip back into the back catalogue. Heaps and heaps 
of this week in cricket slightly, but also um, some really strong interviews um, prior to this New Zealand summer that you can catch up on if you've not already listened in the feed. Umpire Chris Brown coming out soon um, as well. Might be before this one in the in the, in the scheme of things, or it might be after, but go and have a listen to that. He's just made his debut um, as a test umpire in New Zealand. But we'll be back next week to talk lots and lots more cricket. Remember to listen out for Michael Baldwin on the Cricket Badger um, podcast. He's got a little white streak in his hair to mark the occasion. <laughs> um, he'll be there midnight tonight talking about the Brisbane Heat. But that's it uh, for now. Good night. God bless. And we'll speak to you next week.